Chapter 2 of Pollyanna's Jewels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christine Rucker. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter 2 Neighbors. The new home was in a new development of the Boston suburb. Everything about it was so bright and shining and modern as to suggest that it had sprung up overnight, like a mushroom. All the houses in Elsinore Terrace had breakfast nooks, and the paint was so fresh that one who touched it instinctively looked at his fingers to see if it had come off. The lawns were even newer than the houses, and, like all infants, required a great deal of care. The shade trees placed at regular intervals along the sidewalk, one to each house, were far too new to more than promise shade sometime in the future. Most of the houses, Pollyanna soon learned, were occupied by young people, and many of them had little families. When all the children of the neighborhood appeared on the street at the same time, it looked as if school had just let out, kindergarten pupils predominating. Junior and Judy were agreeably thrilled by the discovery of so many playmates within easy reach, but their mother's enthusiasm had its reservations. Pollyanna had no wish to bring up her children in isolation. Companionship with other little folks, their normal contact with the outside world, was a necessary part of their training. But, at the same time, the fact that children lived next door was not enough to prove them desirable associates, though such proximity made companionship almost inevitable. As it happened, there were children in both the adjoining houses, and, from the characteristics of the children, Pollyanna acquired considerable information regarding the mothers before she had seen either. Little Jack Warner whom some juvenile humorist of the neighborhood had christened Jack Horner, and who was seldom called anything else, was suspiciously spick and span. His clothes were always clean and not even wrinkled, his face and hands so immaculate that Pollyanna felt certain his mother must call him indoors and give him a thorough washing at least once every half hour. The house on the other side was occupied by a family named Hunt and it took some time for Pollyanna to reach a conclusion as to its number, as the hunt backyard was generally full of children. Relying on circumstantial evidence alone, Pollyanna would have estimated the young hunts to number anywhere from 10 to 20. She learned in course of time that there were five of them, and the quality of Mrs. Hunt's discipline was indicated by a set speech Pollyanna heard called from the back door or an upstairs window with wearisome frequency. Children, stop right away. When your father comes home, I'm going to tell him how naughty you've been and he'll give you all a whipping. Nice for a hunt, isn't it? growled Jimmy when Pollyanna enlightened him as to Mrs. Hunt's method. If she keeps her word, his evenings must be restful and pleasant, and think how his children must look forward to his coming home at night. I don't mean to shirk my share in bringing up my family, declared Jimmy, passing from irony to profound earnestness, 
but I'll be hanged if I want my children to look at me as a special policeman. Pollyanna's first acquaintance among her new neighbors was a Mrs. McGill, whose backyard joined hers. She stepped out into the sunshine one morning to hang the baby's washing on the line, when a pleasant voice addressed her across the boundary hedge. I'm going to take time by the forelock and introduce myself, said the voice. I'm one of your new neighbors, Mrs. McGill. Pollyanna dropped the baby's things upon the grass and, approaching the hedge, extended her hand. I'm Mrs. Pendleton, she smiled. I'm very glad to meet you, Mrs. Pendleton. Though I don't dare shake hands, I've been grubbing in the flower beds and my hands are frightfully dirty. And mine are wet, laughed Pollyanna. I suppose a handshake would mean a mud pie. Don't some of the Oriental peoples greet you by shaking their hands instead of yours? asked Mrs. McGill. She clasped her earth-stained fingers, made the gesture charmingly, and then went on to say, I know, of course, that you've just moved in and everything must be at sixes and sevens, but would a few flowers be in your way? Pollyanna beamed at her. I can't imagine flowers being in the way, ever. Then I'm going to cut you a few while you finish hanging up your clothes, and you must let me share my garden with you this summer, since you've come too late to have your own. The lateness will do as an excuse, explained Pollyanna, but I'm not sure it will be any better another year. We never have much success with gardens, she continued ruefully. The children always forget and trample over the flower beds after the things get started. That is, if they ever do start. Junior's so anxious to see what the seeds are doing, he generally digs them up two or three times a day. We really congratulate ourselves that we can keep the grass growing. I haven't that difficulty, said Mrs. McGill. I have no children, so I have time for my flowers and my music and everything else that interests me especially since I lost my husband. She was still smiling, but a poignant note had come into her beautiful voice, and Pollyanna looked at her with a vague stirring of sympathy. She was a woman older than herself, not less than forty, rather handsome, and somehow giving in every movement an indefinable impression of efficiency. Pollyanna was at once convinced that she was going to find Mrs. McGill a most enjoyable neighbor. More to prolong the conversation than from curiosity, she inquired, You sing, don't you? Yes, systematically. I have a church position. I hope you'll leave your window open when you practice. What a sweet neighbor you're going to be, laughed Mrs. McGill. I had an idea that I would like you and that speech settles it. Now, don't let me interrupt you a minute longer, for I know how busy you must be. And when Pollyanna had finished hanging the tiny garments on the line, a big bunch of flowers was awaiting her. It's the most neighborly neighborhood you can imagine, Pollyanna informed Jimmy. You see, it makes it awfully easy to get acquainted, because if one of the children is hurt, and begins to cry, all the mothers rush out, each one thinking it's her child. You know, and when we've got that straightened out, we all get to talking, and everyone is so friendly. You remember that winter I spent with Aunt Ruth when I was a little girl? 
Jimmy nodded without speaking. Whatever he forgot in the days to come, he was sure to remember that winter. Well, Aunt Ruth did her best to impress me with the idea that Bostonians are very, very formal, and the impression must have gone deep, for when I found we were going to live in a suburb of Boston, I felt quite nervous. I was afraid we'd find our new neighbors rather standoffish. I dare say very few of our neighbors are Simon Pure Bostonians any more than we are, Jimmy answered. The traditions of cities are likely to get a little mixed in this whirligig age, and Aunt Ruth, though she's a dear, would probably find people in any part of the world rather formal, he added with a smile. I suppose so, she's so dignified, and I've never been able to acquire any dignity, no matter how hard I tried. As long as I'm the sort of person I am, Pollyanna ended with a sigh of satisfaction. It's lucky for me that Elsinore Terrace is such a friendly street. But the friendliness of the terrace was not without discrimination, Pollyanna was soon to learn. About a week later, she gave Junior permission to go into the next yard, where a swing had just been put up for Jack Horner. The two were gradually joined by the other children of the neighborhood, including four of the five hunts, and presently the assembly became so boisterous that Pollyanna thought it the part of wisdom to view the fun at close range. Children were playing amiably enough, if noisily, and, having satisfied herself that there was no need to enact the role of a wet blanket, Pollyanna stood watching them with genuine enjoyment. Presently, she became aware of a new arrival, apparently like herself, attracted to the hilarious scene by the uproar. He was a child she did not remember ever having seen before, noticeably well-dressed and with a rather shy manner. He advanced towards the absorbed group almost stealthily and was close upon them before he was discovered. Jack Horner was the first to notice him. At once, he left his play and advanced upon the newcomer, his manner threatening. The other children turned to look, and under their united gaze, the little intruder drew back, not far enough, however, to satisfy Jack Horner. What you doing in my yard? he shouted. You get out here, or I'll make you. Pollyanna, whose instinct made her the ally of every creature in distress, ran down the steps, from the top of which she had seen Jack's welcome to his visitor. Jack, she called. Come here a minute, Jack, dear. She was about to give him some elemental instruction in the social amenities, as she would have given Junior in a like case. But before she had succeeded in attracting Jack's attention, Mrs. Warner appeared on the scene, and Pollyanna gladly left her to the enlightenment of her small son. But it was to the other boy, and not to Jack, that Mrs. Warner addressed herself, and her deliberate, incisive voice made Pollyanna wince. She could not imagine speaking to a child with such frigid coldness. Philip, said Mrs. Warner, don't you know you're not allowed to play here? The child's answer was to take to his heels. He ran with the desperate haste of a hunted creature, and Pollyanna stood looking after him, curiously perturbed. 
Undoubtedly, Philip was a very naughty little boy to be ordered off with such scant ceremony. But after all, he was scarcely older than Junior, and it seemed an exaggeration to treat him as a hardened offender. With the callousness of their years, the other children at once resumed their play, and as Pollyanna stood gazing after the fugitive, she discovered that Mrs. Warner had come down to the hedge, evidently to speak to her. Forcing a rather mechanical smile on her lips, Pollyanna came forward. I thought I'd explain about that little boy, Mrs. Warner said in a carefully lowered voice, though Jack and his friends were making such an uproar that it was impossible for her to be overheard. Unless you're careful, he'll be trying to play with your children. He's very obtrusive, as you saw just now. Pollyanna failed to see why the child in question was any more obtrusive than any of the others. Is he so very naughty? she asked. Well, I've never seen enough of him to know, but he comes from the house on the corner. Pollyanna was frankly bewildered. It was hard to see why any especial opprobrium should attach to a corner house, yet that was what Mrs. Warner seemed to imply. Meeting her blank gaze, Mrs. Warner smiled. I forgot you were so new here, she said. Of course you wouldn't understand, but here in Elsinore Terrace, the corner house is our skeleton in the closet. Oh dear, then we have a skeleton, exclaimed Pollyanna. I'm so sorry. It's an outrage that such people should ever have got into our neighborhood, cried Mrs. Warner vehemently, and the worst of it is that most of us own our homes and have to stay on, even if we do have disreputable neighbors. Disreputable? That's a mild word for it. Both the man and the woman abandoned families to run away together. They say she left three little girls. Of course, when they came, none of us knew their record, and we would have treated them like any other newcomers if, by good luck, someone hadn't visited here who knew the whole story. Of course, we've all ignored their existence ever since, but apparently she's one of the brazen sort and doesn't care. Poor little thing, Pollyanna cried involuntarily, and Mrs. Warner jumped. Then she realized that Pollyanna was thinking of Philip, and not of Philip's mother, and showed immediate relief. Yes, of course, it's hard on the boy, but we couldn't have him playing with our little folks. It's enough of a problem with the children who come from respectable homes. I suppose so, Pollyanna sighed, but her heart was heavy. Jimmy was becoming acquainted by proxy with Elsinore Terrace. His new work was exacting. He left home early and often was not back till late, so that the task of enlightening him regarding his new neighbors devolved on Pollyanna. That evening, when she told him of the people in the corner house and of the little boy who had run away, her voice made him think of music full of minor cadences. A silence fell between them when she finished, broken at last by Junior, who shrieked over the banisters, Mother, I want to know something. Why, Junior, I thought you were asleep. Run right back to bed. But, Mother, tell me something first. Are the little boys in China going to bed now? I suppose so. Oh, no, I forgot. It's morning in China. 
Then I tell you what I'm going to do when I get big, like daddy. I'm going to dig a hole clear through to China. And every night I'll go down there and it'll be morning. And then when it gets night there, I'll climb back here and it'll be morning too. Then I won't ever have to go to bed. Well, until you get that hole finished, you must go to bed and stay abed, Pollyanna replied with decision. She listened to the sound of his scampering feet, and then the smile with which she met Jimmy's eyes trembled into a sigh. He's hardly any older than Junior, she said. Jimmy understood that she referred to Philip, and knowing Pollyanna as she did, readily divined the trend of her thoughts. It's tough for the poor little chap, he said gently, but at the same time we can hardly be his champions at the children's expense. Pollyanna did not answer, and he continued, Apparently, to allow Philip the freedom of our place, with the feeling in the neighborhood what it is, would mean cutting our children off from all the other companions, and it wouldn't be fair. After all, we must think of them first. If we stay here for ten or fifteen years, their earliest companionships are going to count a great deal. And then, Pollyanna, we don't even know that this poor little cuss is the sort of child we want Junior to associate with. Considering the home he comes from, it's hardly likely. I suppose you're right, dear. Pollyanna's voice was not quite steady. But he's so little. I know. It's a pretty grim law that visits the sins of the fathers on the children. The only good thing about it, as far as I know, is that if a man's got a particle of decency in him, it will help him to walk the chalk line when he remembers that, if he goes wrong, his children will have to foot the bills. Now, let's talk of something pleasanter. Did Aunt Polly's letter come today? The conversation, so abruptly changed, ran on cheerily till bedtime. Philip was not mentioned again, but Pollyanna's dreams that night were haunted by a forlorn little figure, shut out from the friendliness of the neighborhood, suffering for sins not his own. End of chapter 2